Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, on this episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, I'm joined by Ron Tugnut. Everything you wanted to know about his career, including the 70 safe performance against the Boston Bruins back in the day. But first, let's get a little backup towel talk. Did you toss on the backup towel when you played? For sure. Like I had, I had a tight wrap, so I, I always made sure I really rolled it tight. And it was, it was like it wasn't. Uh, it was like a round part of the towel, you know, because you I rolled it tight, and then I wrapped it around in a little spin and inside the jersey. Yeah, and I always did that. Love it. What's great about this interview is that Ron's just so open, and there's so many things during a career that go wrong, that go right. There's a lot of triumph, there's a lot of heartbreak, and Ron's experienced all that. Again, he's really open about it, which is awesome, and had a lot of fun doing it, and I hope you do too. Ron, I gotta tell you, it's not every day I get the chance to speak to somebody that's also worn nine jerseys in the National Hockey League. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I think I did it in a lot more years than you, though. You poor guy, You yours have been, the last, what, year and a half has been truly insane for you, I think, but... Um, but, but you're right. Uh, we did wear a lot of jerseys. Yeah. I mean, that's, we've got this kinship now of being the journeyman. And I think I'm due for a suitcase tattoo this summer with some wings on it or something like that to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, but, uh, you know, good for you. I think that, um, perseverance and, and, you know, just hanging in there. I think that, uh, you and I had a lot in common, you know, to be able to do that. And obviously you're, you're well liked because I like to tell people I was well liked. So, um, that's why we moved around so much. Well, that or we just keep fooling them, one of the two. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, thought, I thought that was a great reason to have you on, though, because you've seen so many locker rooms and would be able to bring a perspective to the game of, of having moved around, lived in different cities. You've been in Canada, the U.S., warm, cold climates all over the place. And going back to the beginning here, I always like to find out what made you become a goaltender? What checked that, that box in your brain that said, this is what I want to do? Well, I think, um, you know, in the early stages, I was a player, but I, that was only for about a half a year. And um, the reason why is that I refused to come off the ice. And, you know, back then, I, they didn't have the same setups where, uh, you know, they don't have goalies on teams. Everybody plays out. Back then, you actually had a goalie on your team all the time. And the I was playing out, and I refused to come off the ice. And they said, well, the only way you can stay on there is if you're the goalie. And I said, well, then I'll be the goalie. And I was lucky enough that the kid that was a goalie didn't want to play goalie anymore. So I became the goalie and, you know, I stayed that way, you know, forever. But um, I think my first game I gave up like 11 or 12 goals and <laughs> I came on, I came off the ice and my parents were like, okay, he's not going to want to do this anymore. And I was like, that was the greatest day of my life. That was amazing. <laughs> so I was only like five and a half, six at the time. Your parents must have known they were in trouble at that point because I have a similar story where the first game I played in goal – it went pretty well, but I, I don't know what the score was, but my grandpa was in the stands filming it. And we actually have this VHS tape at our house and you can hear him say in the background, oh God, we're never going to get him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. I think, I think they scored more goals than I made saves, to be honest with you. So. <laughs> but, but I got to stay on the ice the whole game. So that's all that matters. Where did you grow up at? Uh, Scarborough. I was a Toronto Scarborough guy. Um, moved away to Peterborough when I was like 16, 17. 
So um, Peterborough is now home for me. Uh, this is where I always came back to after my seasons and a lot of like good, good lakes up here and things like that. And, you know, most players usually like the summers and, and being on the water and I'm, I'm no different. I'm guessing you must have had a really good uh, junior experience if that's the place you ended up retiring to. And something that's real interesting that I found about your junior career with the Peterborough Peets was that your goalie partner was for three seasons. You had Kay Whitmore as your goalie partner, which to me, that seems kind of rare to have the same guy for that amount of time. And you guys, you know, split duties along the way. I'm I'm really curious what that relationship was like. Well, it was, it was funny because I, unfortunately there was a, a, a funeral that I had to attend uh, this past summer and it was the, the voice of the Peterborough Peets and Mike Brophy, who was a, was a big writer in the hockey news back in the day in Toronto. He used to do the, the local stuff here in Peterborough when Kay and I were together. And uh, when he, he remembered interviewing me, he came up to me at the funeral and said, you're still one of my favorite interviews because I left it shaking my head that this kid has no idea what he's talking about. And, you know, he said, well, so the, basically what ended up happening was that when I came, he said, so you're, you've come here to back up Kay Whitmore. And, you know, and, and I said, well, if you think I came here for three years to back up Kay Whitmore, you're crazy. And so that became the competition between the two of us, but he was the same age as me, but he was, he, he came as an underage. So, you know, right from the beginning, it was, it was a hard battle to, to compete. He's also a second round NHL pick too. So, um, but we were both very fortunate to play for Peterborough Peaks, which at the time was probably one of the best destinations to play junior hockey uh, and definitely in the Ontario Hockey League. And, um, you know, we are always winning, which was always nice, but uh, it took a while and I fought for three years. And I, I think by the end, uh, you know, I, I would like to say that I broke even with him. And uh, we both went on to play in the NHL. And I think our last year we went in and uh, we said, Dick, Dick Todd was our coach. We said, do you think you could move one of us? And, uh, and, and Dick looked at me because I went in and I asked Dick, I said, can you move one of us? Cause we want to play more. And he, he said, no, but thanks for coming in. <laughs> and, he, and, and he sent me out of the room. Just shot it down right <laughs> so, away. <laughs> he just said, no, he just said, no. <laughs> and, and like, cause he, he had two NHL drafted goalies, two 19 year old drafted NHL goalies. And, and he didn't want to trade either one of us. And I asked him to be traded. I said, just, I just want to play more and just, you know, play every game. And he just said, no, you guys are our strengths. No. He goes, thanks for coming in. <laughs> now that I'm leaving, it's like, that's not the answer you're looking for, was it? I mean, did, did <laughs> see, it catch you on the ice? <laughs> did it catch you off guard that he answered like that? Or did he kind of have a reputation for being really short? Or it, was that a big surprise to you? It, it was because I, I thought it would have helped the team if they would have moved one of us and, and brought something back, you know, or, or whatever. We had a good team and, you know, it was his choice to choose whichever one he wanted to move. But I just thought it, you know, we're, we're basically going back and forth. And I said, well, I kind of want to play string a bunch of games together and prepare myself for pro hockey for next year. And he just, it, it was, that's typical Dick though. He just was like, no, thanks for coming in. See you on the ice. <laughs> Do you think that the, you think that the fact that you had to battle for those three years though, made yourself a better goalie? And I mean, conversely K as well. No question. I think um, both of us, I think would agree that, uh, on a daily basis, you you you, you want to be friends, uh, and I don't think at the time I don't think Kay were, and I were the best of friends by any means. But I think there was a respect level there that, you know, I knew he was good, 
and, and I hope that he felt that I was somebody that was challenging him. And I think that, you know, there was days that he wasn't playing and, you know, and, and you could just, he would be snapping afterwards. He wasn't playing and it wasn't my mentality to, you know, throw shit around and go crazy when I wasn't playing, but he was a little more like that. And, um, you know, after a few times of doing it, it didn't bother me as much, but when he first did it, it was kind of like, Jesus Christ, you know, (laughs) you know, but, but anyway, it's just, um, I I think uh, just to your point, I think that it did make us better. I think it made us compete harder. It made us want the job more. And I think that helped towards our success to, to make it. I kind of had a turning point like that in college, and I got there with another freshman. We were both coming in at the exact same time, Kevin Ackley. And Kevin was two years older than I was. Uh, He came out of the USHL. I came out of the NAHL. Uh, We were on different scholarships to one another. I knew that I had to battle as hard as I could to get time. And, you know, Kevin's one of my good friends, always has been. And we talked about it this summer, how if he hadn't pushed me that hard, I don't think I would have ever had a chance at going on and having the career I've had. And that just instilled that work ethic in me that I knew every day I had to battle on the ice. And it just came natural to me after that. Yeah. And and it's funny, like, I think most athletes say they find ways to motivate themselves. And, you know, one, the easiest one is to have someone you're competing against that, you know, is pretty good. And uh, it's funny now, Kay works for the NHL and he, he has a place up here on the lakes, and when we see each other, we laugh, we joke, and we smile, we have fun, you know. But uh, at the time, I don't think that we were by any means best of friends, but we we became better friends afterwards because I would think that there was a respect level that we both helped each other. Well, especially considering how long a careers both of you guys had. And speaking of your career, you know, you come out of junior, your first year pro, you spent most of the time in the American League, but you did get games right away with the Quebec Nordiques. The next couple of years, it kept happening. You kind of went up and down, not too dissimilar to what I've done the last few years, but you were in the prospect role here. So when you came out to the Nordiques, what was the depth like there and what allowed you to get those games in the first couple of years, Uh, especially by your second or third, you started to spend more time in the NHL than you did in the American League? Yeah, the the first year was, um, you know, a real eye opener, living on your own. And, um, you know, I was in in Fredericton and... uh, to the point before I got called up, uh, like Quebec was going through a total overhaul. Um, They're moving all their top players out from the Stastny's and Goulet's and all their, all their best players. They were in a complete, uh, like Ottawa, a complete rebuild. And, um, you know, so when, what ended up happening is that my coach was Ron LaPointe. Um, he ended up getting the, the Nordique job and I was down in, in Fredericton at the time and I was putting up, uh, great numbers, and I was in the running for the rookie of the year in the American League. And um, you know, they asked, they asked him who, who could help us up here, and he said, "Well, I think the, the Tugnut goalie can help us. He can come and help us." So they brought me back. They brought me up to the NHL, and um, I think I played six games, and I think I got pulled the last two in a row, and they sent me back down. And uh, you know, my first game was uh, against Buffalo. Uh, we won, I think, five or six one, and the only goal they scored was Pierre Turgeon on a five on three. So it was a great first game, and uh, the second game went well. But the last two, you know, things started to fall apart a little bit. Uh, our team was was a weak team, and that was signs of the years to come. But uh, I went back down, and I totally lost my game. I, I, I went back; the confidence was gone, and you know, I said, "I I can't play. I, I'm not good enough. I had my chance, and." 
uh, I'm not good enough to play at that level, you know, and I think that mentally I, I really felt that I wasn't confident and it showed in my play down there. I became the backup to Darren Jensen, who was an older guy and he was with Vancouver system because Fredericton shared um, the, the affiliate with uh, Vancouver. Uh, Quebec and Vancouver shared that uh, affiliate. So he was from Vancouver side and he's an older veteran goalie, great guy mentoring me the whole bit. And he was still trying to help me through, which speaks volumes of his character. He was helping me to try to get my game back. And I really felt, you know, that I just couldn't play anymore. And every game I went in, it didn't go well. So, um, you know, I called, called my dad and I said, you know something, I think I'm going to come home. It's over. And uh, my dad worked for the city of uh, Toronto, uh, Scarborough, and he was a garbage man. And he said, yeah, he says, I think this is a great idea. He says it's minus 35 outside. I'm throwing garbage today. I'm sure I can get you on. And I just, and I just, and I just kind of, I a got bit of, a bit of a wake up call, huh? Yeah. And yeah. so life so can I be way worse. Kids people, suck it up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I, he says, Oh, 30 minus 35. Yeah. I'm throwing garbage. Come on. I can get you on. Yeah, no he problem. Says, you're, you're in good. You're in good shape. I can get you on. Yeah, and I, and I just kind of went quiet on the phone. And I just said, "I hear you." So I think that that helped. Just kind of, even though I wasn't playing much then, at least broke the ice. Where I said, "Okay, this this is pretty good. What I got going. So let's relax. Let's try to enjoy it, and and, and you know have more fun and and things like that." So uh, we ended up losing that year in the Calder Cup final in Game Seven. Uh, not in game seven, in uh, game four, four straight to to Hershey. Hershey went on to win like 12 straight. They went 12 and 0 and they destroyed us. But <laughs> They've been pretty good they, all through time. Yeah, I've seen in my career, yeah. I've seen them win three or more also. It's all, you know, three yeah. or four yeah, more, they're it seems good. like. Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up uh, losing four straight to them, but they played me. And, you know, I I played well, and but I hadn't, I'd gone long periods of time without playing. And so the next year it was a, you know, hopefully I can get myself back together and make Quebec. And, you know, again, I think I got sent back down, but this time it was Halifax. What a great town, great place to live. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think we had players that refused to get called up to the Northeast that year. <laughs> great what is, yeah, what is it about Halifax? Do you, you talk to anybody oh. that's played junior there? And, I mean, you had an American League te- team there. What was the... What was it, it like was in that awesome. city? I've never been before. It, it's on my list. Oh, it's an awesome place. It's a, it's a great place to, to live. And, um, but we had a player, Greg Smythe, uh, rest his soul. Um, he passed away, but uh, they called him up and, and he said, tell him I'm not coming. <laughs> you can't refuse a call up to the NHL. And, and he goes, I'm not going. I don't want to go. So he continually told them, they, they said, you, you're coming up here. He goes, no, I'm not coming up there. They just want me to come up and fight. And, and that, no, I'm not going up there. They're just going to bag skate me, you know? So, and he goes, I'm not going. So he, he ended up deciding to go. And a couple of days later I got called up. So I was up there and. Tell me they were just absolutely. Yeah. I say, tell me they were just absolutely bag skating him and making him fight just like he feared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what they said. Uh, we were in we were in Buffalo in the old odd, <laughs> and he's doing bagging drills with shots, and I'm the backup goalie at the time. I got called up, and I'm not playing that day. He's shooting on me, and Andre Savard uh, was one of the coaches there, was screaming at him the whole time he was skating, calling him a fat so-and-so, and just giving it to him the whole time. And next thing you know, he, he slammed on the brakes, and he grabbed the puck, and he looked at the coach, and he wound up and ripped it at him. 
<laughs> and slammed it off the glass. And and then the coach started screaming at him, you're, you're, you're going to get sent back down. And he kept grabbing pucks and kept blasting at him as the coach was sprinting off the ice to get the hell <laughs> off the ice. And it was like rapid fire. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm, in, I'm like 20 years old at the time. I'm in complete shock. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, let's just say he was he was gone after that. He went back down to, to Halifax where he lived the rest of his life, I think. Well, he got what he wanted. He accomplished <laughs> yeah, he was, it. How many people witnessed that? Were you the only other person uh, in the building? No, there, there had to have been somebody seeing it. I'm trying to think of the players on the ice. I just remember sitting there in complete shock of, oh, my God, it's like rapid fire. And, and Greg Smythe had a rocket, and he wasn't laying off it. It was full clappers, and it was like head high. It was It was unbelievable to watch. And to see a coach sprint off the ice, <laughs> I said, oh, my God, it's amazing. Welcome so to pro hockey. The, there it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, if you stick around long enough, you see everything. Yeah. So. And then you learn that you haven't seen everything because something <laughs> crazier happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, wearing so five, the, like wearing five jerseys when you're 35 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're still wearing one. That's right. That's the key. That's the key. You're still wearing one. So, But look at the, the easier thing, too, is that you guys can change your color so much easier than us. Back in the day. So yeah. you guys can look good right away. We had to wear wrong colored stuff most of the time. So yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. It's a it's a good transition into it. I got a friend of mine uh, that's you know we crowdsource a little bit for this and. Uh, across the the internet, he goes by Goalie Gear Nerd, and it's well earned because he knows everything about it. And I was a pretty big gear nerd as a kid too. But he pointed out that you pretty much wore Vaughn your entire career, save for at the end you were in Eagle a little bit. Is that uh, were you pretty loyal to Vaughn for a reason when you started? Is that something you wore when you were young and carried it through? Well, I was I was loyal to um, a part owner of Vaughn. His name was uh, Ross Agathis. Um, he's from London and he was part owner, uh, of Vaughn. And so I, I, we, we struck up a friendship. I love their gear. Um, but I got to know him more than anybody else in the company. And, uh, he ended up going away from there and opening up Eagle. Mm. So, so, um, I, him, I was more loyal to him and he was my friend. So he basically said, I'm going to make you Vaughn pads and put Eagle on it. So I said, well, if you can do that, that's great. So they went over and they made me a set of pads. And, uh, I said, listen, something's not right. I said, they're not the same. And I said, I know they're not the same because the name says Eagle and, but I'm, I'm telling you, they're not the same. So he ended up taking the girl that stuffed the pads. I guess there was one girl that always stuffed my pads. He took her out of Vaughn and gave her a raise and moved her into Eagle. <laughs> he poached to, her. To stuff my, to stuff my pads. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> to make, yeah, to make my pads. And all of a sudden, he sends me a set, and I go, oh, you nailed it. These are dead on. He goes, yeah, I had to bring someone. <laughs> I had to give someone a raise and move them across the, across the city to, to make them for you. So um, so that was my loyalty was, was to him. And, um, you know, then, then later on, he ended up moving away from that. And I had uh, – and I was in Ottawa – and I went into iTech. Mm-hmm. iTech was trying to get big and, um, you know, that was more, uh, I was getting paid to wear stuff and everything. And, um, you know, it, it, it never worked out that I could wear their pads, but their gloves I could wear. Mm-hmm. So, and, and sticks, but, but, uh, for the most part, I was with, uh, with Ross from the uh, Ross Agatha. So were you super particular about your gear? Yeah, I think I was, I was pretty, um, 
I knew exactly what I wanted, the uh, sticks. I wanted the, them to be extremely light and I'd break like two or three a, a practice, but I wanted them that way. I wanted them light, uh, gloves, everything for me was more light and thin and than than protective, to be honest with you. Like, uh, my son, who's a goalie, he puts my goalie glove on and he goes, how did you wear this? He goes, your, your hand would be broken. <laughs> and I said, well, Al McGinnis shot the puck 107 and didn't break my hand. So I said, they must have worked. I said, and besides, you don't catch it in the palm, you catch it in the mesh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that, and, and you just led right into a question that I'd gotten from uh, a friend of mine named Ken Baker, who wanted to ask if you thought modern goalies are whiners about shrinking gear. Yes, uh, a little bit. It's nice to see, um, you know, as I said, Kay Whitmore is now the, the NHL police on that. Yeah, I know. But, I've got his initials on every piece of gear yeah, I own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's, he, he polices everything, but it's nice to see pucks now go through goalies in certain areas between the arm and the body. And, um, you know, before, like uh, there was su- such a s- solid mass. Um, once you guys would go into your, your butterflies, there was no real holes, even through the legs, five hole between the pants under the elbows, there was no holes. And I think that was, you know, you're, you've, you're playing with the gear now, but I, I just don't think that that was a protection thing. So, um, just a quick story. When we did the Ottawa Senator um, hundred hundred year anniversary um, thing on Parliament Hill and all that stuff, I wore my equipment from 1999 in the outdoor game. Full full gear I had. I pulled it out. And the problem was I had to get all the elastics re- redone because none of them were elastics anymore. So I put my chest arm piece on, and all the the elastic part was all ripping. So. Um, I had to take it to Nash Sports, which is uh, in this area, um, in, in Buckhorn area. And uh, Ralph Beavis, a good friend of mine, he went and um, restitched all my stuff. And then he took my pads and made sure that they were going to stay together to get me through the game. And I wore all that gear in that outdoor game. And when I put it on, Craig Anderson looked at me when we were out in the ice. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, 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 and let's it, let's preface this too like i mean andy and i were teammates this year andy doesn't yeah. wear that big of equipment compared to some guys so no, that that's it, really still, saying something it, it, it's tall though his 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 pads are tall that like part's my, true my pads but, were 31 and a half inch man so how, and how tall are you half, <laughs> i'm 510 is that in the, so in I the yearbook? And a half really inch pad. <laughs> no i am 510 I, okay. I think i was 510 in my playing time 510 and a half Okay, but I think I've the vertebrae's gotten a little bit tighter, and I think I'm down to about five ten now. <laughs> but the um, these pads were barely above my knee, and my pants were destroyed with puck marks. And the guy, like Andy, was like, "You've got to be kidding me with that stuff!" <laughs> I can hear and, him saying and, it right now. In yeah, my head. And, and Condon was laughing too, and because I had a good chuckle with Condon about it at the time he was there, and all the players were like look how much net you can see with him in there. And they're all going on. But my son was like, you're going to get killed with that stuff. I said, like hell I will. I said, this, this stuff's protected me for years. It'll protect me again. So Mike Fisher is playing in the game and he comes down and he leans on the stick and my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. I had LASIK surgery, but it's starting to get worse again. 
and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to squint to see and he rifles this thing and it missed the net. And as he's going by the net, I'm screaming at him. What was that? You could have killed me. <laughs> and he's laughing. And then a couple of weeks later, he's in Nashville playing, but, um, it was a fun day to do it, but I had all that gear on and I felt safe. Like, you, you know what it's like that you feel like your equipment's safe. It's going to protect you and you move. And then all of a sudden the puck hits you and you go, ow, it got mm-hmm. me. But, but you, up to that point, you never feel like you're going to feel the puck or you're going to get hurt. And then right. somehow it finds a spot. And, you know, and that was the same with me. It's just my, my gloves were really thin. I felt every puck that hit my palm. Um, you know, the shoulders and that they, I got bruises, but it wasn't bad. So yeah, you so, were willing to deal with it. Basically you're yeah, willing to deal I, I with the bruises and, for having the comfort level of having something a little bit thinner and lighter. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing too, is that us goalies in the early era, it wasn't so much at the end because the equipment did get better. There was a fear. There was a little bit of a fear of getting hurt. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think there's any fear at all anymore. No, it doesn't take hurt. it doesn't take much courage to be a goalie other than the mental aspect at this point. I mean, physic, yeah. physically, we're probably the safest players on the ice. Yeah, no doubt. And like even the mass, um, I've been drilled hard in my mass, and I, I felt a hundred percent safe that I couldn't be hurt with it. You know, so the one area I was always concerned about was the neck, and mm-hmm. I, I wore like a, a plastic hanger, uh, and once I put that on, I was fearless. I said that. You can't hurt me. So it's nice to see the gear be a little bit smaller. Um, as I said, you start to see goals that squeeze through a little bit now, which you didn't see in the past. And, you know, I think that's the way it should be. You mentioned your mask, and that's something I was going to ask about too, is you had a really famous design about midway through your career that started, and you had the splatter mask. And I heard that that started – from a beer splash as an inspiration is that is what's yep. the truth behind this whole story? Because you carried it through a couple of different teams after Ottawa was the first place for it, right? Yep. Um, no, no, uh, Montreal was. Oh, Montreal. Okay. So yep. let's get the yep. background Montreal. on this. Yeah. So, so what happened was um, I was traded to Montreal uh, the first year. I was in, so I was in with the Ducks and halfway through that year. So the very first year of the Ducks 93, um, I got traded to Montreal and I had my regular Greg Harrison was his name. Mass maker made me uh, a Montreal mass with straight lines and, and whatever else on it. Uh, very generic looking. And as the year went on, you know, Molson being the sponsor of, of the Montreal Canadians and everything, I said, I got to come up with something different, you know? And um, so, uh, you know, uh, over the summertime that summer, as they delivered a whole bunch of 24s to my house, because we got free beer back then from Molson, they just delivered it right to our cottages. So the one year they they brought like packs of 24s, the next year I had a big party and they brought like a, one of those little trailers, a fridge trailers with, with the kegs in it. And so, you know, we were spoiled with our Molson products. So over the summer, I was thinking, how can I, you know, do something with this? So I said, well, what about like a Molson splash? And even though the colors, because it's not the color of beer, it, that was the idea of it. Just like, how about like the logo and, and beer splashing all around the mask and, and, and something like that. So iTech at the time, uh, I'd switched over to iTech who was making masks quicker and easier. Uh, I went and got all sized up with them and, 
um, they came up with that design, the splash effect with the logo at the front splashing into something with causing, you know, drops going everywhere. And uh, from then it just took off. Like there's so many people that have said, that's one of my most popular masks. You know, it's just the design. We loved it. And, um, you know, so that's why I stuck with that. Do you know who painted it? Yes. Um, Frank Sipra. Yeah. Uh, he's out of Prescott. Uh, he, he's a, he's a real good friend. He's painted all my son's math. Uh, he's painted my motorcycle. Uh, I brought him my motorcycle. I have a old 2000 Harley fat boy way back in the day. I, I think it was 2004. I took it to him and he repainted my bike and he said, it's the first one he ever did. And, um, you know, he did it with the splash and, uh, the whole thing. And uh, yeah, he's, he's been, his work is outstanding. He's incredible. He's, and he's still doing stuff today, um, but uh, it was Frank Zebra. I remember he did some of DPHROs amongst other guys. Really, really good work from him. And I think that's so cool about your mask that you kept that design through some teams and had some lineage with it. And to me, the iconic masks were the ones where you identified the design with the goalie. And nowadays, it seems like everybody just gets a new design twice a year. They don't really have any you know, set parameters to them as to why they're doing it. And I think of yourself, I think of Belvoir, Belfort, Potvin, you know, Brodeur, on down the list of guys that... Cujo, 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 oh, Cujo especially, yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. you knew who was in the net. And yeah. I mean, that's 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 amazing. And it's it was such a unique design. And I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that probably thought you were the biggest beauty in the history of the locker room because you had beer on your helmet. But it's... Uh, <laughs> well, I also kind of spin it that like it was to me it was a little bit of my personality as well and I think that's what the goalies always look for in their mask and I said you know I'm 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 fun I like to have a good time it's you know what I mean and I'm like it's, uh, splashing water and splashing beer and splashing I said that's kind of like my you know who I am you know I said it, so I kind of spun it that way too that it was just to me it was a mask that looked like fun and, you know, I was having fun. I love it. Well, we get to a point in your career about midway through here. And you talked about being in Montreal and you'd made stops in Edmonton and Anaheim before. And, and by the way, your mask in Edmonton was an absolute classic, too, with just the yeah. orange uh, oil on the side. I mean, just big, bold, bright. I'm curious about your time in Portland for the Pirates. Uh, it's a jersey that we shared. I played there for three seasons for three different affiliates, which seems really appropriate for my career. You know, you went there and had a tremendous year, 1995-96, but it was a step back. What led you to ending up in Portland? And then after that season, how did it spring you forward until the next season with the Ottawa Senators? Well, um, that uh, summer, I was waiting. I, I, I had a bad playoff for Montreal. Um, Patrick Wall went down during the playoffs with appendix. And um, I hadn't played in over two months. And all of a sudden, I, I wake up in the morning, I open my door in Montreal, and there's cameras all over the place. And I'm like, what's going on? And it, it's a game day. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, so I'm driving to the rink. I got people with cameras on me, following me all the way to the rink. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Do you think you're going to get, get arrested and, or something? Well, I, I, I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? You know, so I'm telling people, and they said, um, Ron, you haven't heard uh, Patrick's not playing tonight and i'm like what and they said no he's he's in hospital 
I'm like, there's appendix. I'm like, you've got to kid me. So here I was, I was in full holiday mode. And then next thing you know, I was being thrusted into the Montreal forum. Um, you know, and I hadn't played in months and uh, I threw a stinker. Like I just stunk. I played bad, you know what I mean? And, um, after that, Patrick came back two days later and played. And he was the savior in Montreal. But, you know, like a, he was tough to play with as a goalie partner because we were close to the same age. And and he made it feel very evident that he's the guy, which he was. <laughs> right. So, um, but he wasn't going out. Of, he wasn't going out of his way to do you any favors in practice and other no, things. I guess. Gotcha. No, he wasn't. And and I just didn't. Um, I I wasn't ready for the moment. You know, what I mean, I kind of said, okay, well, I'm just going to sit and watch, and if anything, I'll have to come off the bench or whatever, you know. So I wasn't quite ready for the moment, and that's. I think I let my guard down. I I didn't work hard enough. I didn't prepare enough, and um, you know, so needless to say, I stunk the joint out, and he came back. We ended up losing in uh, six or seven games, and uh, they didn't offer me a contract, but they had offered me a contract earlier in the year, and. Um, my agent at the time said, um, oh, don't worry about it. We'll sign it at the end of the year. We'll get a new deal done at the end of the year. They love you. Everything's great. Don't worry about it. Well, the deal wasn't there anymore at the end of the year. And I was sitting around all summer waiting to uh, uh, find a place to work or find a team that would want me. You know, I was 26, 27 years old, and uh, my wife was expecting our second child, and I didn't have a place to play. So I kept calling anything new anything new calling the agent anything new anything new and uh you know he wasn't answering he wasn't in the office when i didn't get hold most of the time and when i did it was like no we're still working on some stuff and you know okay so it was going on and on all summer and i kept i kept calling and all of a sudden i wasn't getting any pickups at all and i said no you know so this was all when kudra was about to sign in toronto so uh, I was sitting there and I'm hearing Cujo's going to Toronto and everything's going on. And I called my agent again and, you know, oh, he's not in the office. He's not in the office. So I waited a couple of minutes and called right back and, and said, yeah, it's, it's Don me in there. And they, they go, Oh, who's calling? I said, it's Cujo. Yeah, he's right here. Ooh, man. <laughs> so needless to say, um, it, it didn't go well, um, at that time. So, uh, I, I waited, uh, continue waiting, trying to find a place to play. And, uh, I was possibly going to go to Sweden, uh, and offer to go there, but I realized, I said, if I go there, I'll never come back. So I, I got a, the I'll only offer I have, yeah, the only offer I, I got right now is from Washington. Um, David Poyle, he, he's giving me an offer and, you know, I'm going to minors and be their third guy. And, and I said, I think I should take it for a lot less money than what it was in Sweden. And I was him and hollering, just hoping something better would come along. And then David Poyle called me a couple of days after and says, what the hell are you waiting for? You got nothing else. And, and I just kind of went, yeah. Okay. So that was it. So I decided to go to Portland and I think I was whining. I think I got to Portland with a, you know, a little bit of a, I don't deserve this crap. I shouldn't be here kind of attitude. And I think I let that get to me the, the first half of the year. Uh, our team wasn't doing well. I wasn't doing well. And they called me up for three games to back up Jim Carrey. And they sent uh, Olaf Colsey down for, to play three games. And we were the last place team in the league. Uh, 
Olaf Kolzig went down, went three and zero with two shutouts, and gave out one goal and was player of the week. And I was sitting on the bench watching Jim Carrey for three games. And <laughs> this wasn't the comedian Jim Carrey. For people that are listening that don't remember, Jim Carrey ended up winning what Calder? He was what rookie of the year of the NHL. I think. I think he won the Vesna. Or the Vesna. The yeah, not even rookie of the year. He, he won, won the Vesna. Yes. He won a Vesna. <laughs> like one of the ultimate blips on the radar. He'd actually be a great guy to interview to hear his story. But yeah, so his he name, was there. Coles was, was there. Ace. Yeah, they unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he knew what kind of clam chowder it took to get into the club. <laughs> <laughs> so he, see, he, I backed him up for three days and three games. And then as I was going down, David Poyle said to me, well, we're not going to re-sign you. It's up to you if you want to prolong your career or not. He says, Colsey went 3-0 and in player of the week. So it doesn't look like the problem is the players and the team there. He said, so it's up to you to go prolong your career. So I went back down there with a new fire because I enjoyed being on the plane again instead of, you know, the buses. And, yeah, it's nice uh, to eat went, filet mignon instead of a sub after yeah, a game. Yeah, I was starting to enjoy that life. I said, God, I missed this. So I went back down to my – went to Portland and I was coached by a pretty good coach. Uh, yeah. What's um, that guy's Barry name? Trotz. I've never heard Barry of that Trotz. guy. Yeah, What's he done bad. lately? What's he done lately? Yeah. I don't, did he fall off the map? Yeah. His team's gone from the worst goals against to the best in, in a year. So really, but, what about uh, last season? Yeah. Was he coaching last season? Yeah. He coached a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> so our he, listeners he, will know who we're talking about. Yeah. So he, he, <laughs> him and I had it out a number of times in the first half of the year. Like, um, you know, giving it back and forth to each other, calling each other stuff. And so I was a bit of a knob, I think, the first half of the year. I came back with a new mindset and I started playing and we got on a roll and everything was going quite smoothly. And, uh, you know, I think we made the playoffs in the last couple weeks of the season. And, um, you know, all of a sudden he wasn't playing me. I said, okay, he's saving me for the playoffs or whatever, you know. Um, that I've had a couple bad games and the other guy, his name was Martin Brochu, uh, mm-hmm. was my backup. And, uh, he went in and played a couple of good games and I played and I didn't play well, but we made the playoffs. And I, I think I, my numbers were just since the time I came back were insanely good. And, but all of a sudden I played one or two bad games and Brochu had played well. So we go to start the playoffs and he goes, Brochu, you're playing. And I was fuming at the time and it was just part of him just pissing me off he realized that i wasn't pissed off anymore i think so he needed to piss me off so he started boshu in the first round and my wife was expecting um you know our, our second our, you know we just had my son during that playoff and um so, so you had one of your one of your kids was born in portland yeah one of them, yeah. my my youngest one was born in portland maine and it so was during mine. yeah during the first round yeah, my second uh, my second daughter was born in Portland in February of 2013. That's cool. We got that in common. Awesome. Yes. That is yep. cool. And it's and it's a great place to play. I liked it there. Oh, I love yeah, Portland. I, yeah, I love Portland. For Portland. I, I yeah. It's a place I could I could live there. Amazing city. Yeah. But anyway, no go question. on. Right on the water. Good. Yeah, you got so, it. So anyway, a lot of going through my head with my wife going to be giving birth during the first round and everything. And I, um, you know, we played. Martin Bruchu started and. Things were going okay, and uh, we won the first round, and I didn't play. And I was sitting around, and we had our son during that first round. And then the second round, 
Rochu started the, the first two games and and we lost the first one and then lost the second one in overtime. And uh, Barry Trotz walked by me on the bench and he basically said, well, we'll now see how effing good you are. <laughs> so You had the so red we, miss going here for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, so we got in and we now we'd already played uh you know we're going we had to come back home and uh we won those games then we went i'm trying to remember exactly how it all played out because we had to there was three games at home so because it was two three two mm-hmm. yep. so so we lost the first two there we won the the third one went back home and we won and lost one and then we went back to st john and the last two games, I think uh, the total shots in the two games was, I think they had like 100 and, 105 or 110 shots in two games, and they'd scored one or two goals. And, and we won the series in seven. And, you know, so then we went to the final, and we lost in, the, in game seven there um, to Rochester. And uh, I think when that was all said and done and it was over, uh, you know, for all my fights with Barry Trotz, I just walked up to him and thanked him. I just said, you found a way to make me play, you know, and, and he just laughed, you know. So, anyway. So, short, we both, long we both know short. what it's like to lose in Game 7 of the Calder Finals then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. You were last year. Yeah, I was you know, 7 last year. The year before, I was Game 6. And oh. I tell you what, though, it's it, – well, as much as it absolutely sucks to lose, especially two years in a row – what an experience to play in front of buildings that are like that when everything's on the oh, yeah. line. You have, you cannot hide. Everybody's watching. And to be able to play your best at the most important time of the year, win or lose, is a feeling that I'll never get again when I'm done with the game. There will be nothing that yeah. touches that. I totally agree with you because uh, we lost in game seven. They heavily outplayed us. They were the heavy favorites. We lost two to one. Um, I think I played one of my best games in the whole playoff. And... Um, you know something though, when it's all said and done and you lose, like I was extremely emotional. It's like I was crying. Mm-hmm. Because you just you, left you put, everything so, on the ice. Yeah, and it was brutal to to sit there and 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 cry because you lost. You know what I mean? And just yeah. you, you fully you fully expected to win. So that that playoff alone in that second half is what I think uh, opened the door for for Ottawa to to offer me a, a contract to, to back up Damian Rhodes. Um, so they put an offer in or they talked to Washington saying, are you going to qualify him? And David Foyle qualified me and he said he wouldn't. So now I'm a, I'm a restricted free agent. So now they can match whatever Ottawa offers. So even though he, David said he wouldn't, then he did. So um, – Pierre I suspect Paget, your play might have had Paget. something to do with that in the Calder playoffs, yeah. though. Right. Well, they they like to have three guys in the system, like everybody else, and they said, "Well, no, we might as well keep them now." So um, Pierre Gauthier, who I had in Quebec, who I had with the Mighty Ducks, he decided he he wanted me to come to Ottawa. He was with the Ottawa Senators, and uh, he came up with an idea to pay me two hundred and seventy five thousand Canadian to play in Ottawa. And three hundred thousand American to play in the minors. <laughs> so, so other words, if I went to the minors, I made more money. So Washington at the time says, "Well, we're not going to pay minor league goalie three hundred thousand dollars." So, fine, we're not going to match it. So that's how I ended up in Ottawa. Hmm. I that's a that's 
a wild story to end up there, especially with the contract that you had to go through that, that as creative as he got to get to, to get the player he wanted. I mean, there's a lot of guys playing in the American League that wish that teams could do that right now, manipulate currency like that. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you imagine? Like, that's not that long ago. Like, that's just over 20 years ago, players were still making Canadian funds in the mm-hmm. NHL. That's you know, amazing. now it's it's a universal U.S. cash across the board, and um, you know, it's a, times have really changed for sure. Well, your time in Ottawa. I look at it and I'm sure a lot of people do. And when I was doing some research on this, and like I said, I crowdsourced some things. There's a lot of people in Ottawa that have really fond memories of your time there. And for good reason, that 96, 97 season team ends up going to the playoffs where you ended up playing in it. And, you know, you, you get the first home win in playoffs for that franchise, uh, some amazing moments and, and leading up to, even getting into playoffs, I know from what I've read, it might have been a pretty emotional time for you. So um, just lead us up to that. What happened in those last couple games in Ottawa going into playoffs and then carrying on through it? Well, the, um, Damien went down with like an ankle sprain and it kind of opened the door for me to, to have a chance to play and, and, and kind of prove myself. And it was actually very eerie to what I went through in Portland. All of a sudden, it's like, like it's a year later and I'm like, this is deja vu. I feel the same. I'm in the net. I, I don't think anyone's ever going to score on me. Mm. And, and, and all of a sudden I, I felt the same as I did the year before, but just in a different league. And I was on a team that was coached by, I believe a really good defensive style coach and Jacques Martin. We had all, all these young players who St. Lawrence were, graduate. Yeah, I've known Jock since I was like 16. He was he was assistant coach for the Peterborough Peets when I was here. I had to toss that we, out. <laughs> Soft spot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so he he and he's you know he was in uh, the Islander system, right? Yeah, and he's an ex goalie too. Goalie. Yeah, yeah, he's an ex goalie. He was in the Islander system behind Chico Resch and oh. Billy Smith. He was in that system. So, but anyway, he was my my coach in Ottawa, and he had he had everyone buying in. Like everybody was playing the right way. And we went on a tear in the second half. I think halfway through the year, we were like in the last place. We were kind of like the St. Louis Blues where we were in last place. And then all of a sudden, boom. And we caught everybody. We passed everybody. And we got into the playoffs on uh, the last day. And uh, that first year to make the playoffs. And um, for me, it was an emotional time because um, I don't want to get choked up, but <laughs> um I was in the NHL when, uh, when my dad passed away, I was with Montreal at the time and my dad passed away that year during one of my games when I was with the, with Montreal and I hadn't been back to the NHL since then. So to make the playoffs that first year, it was kind of like, boom, you know, and I, I said, that one's for you, you know? So Mm. anyway, that was, that was the, uh, that, that first, that, that first year of the emotional stuff. Um, as I said, uh, you know, all athletes will use certain things to motivate themselves. And that was my motivation. So, mm. That's amazing. Even, even now, I still get emotional thinking about it. But For sure. Yeah. Um, How could you not? So that, I understand. Yeah. So that, that year we lost in game seven, which everybody, uh, I've seen, uh, I've seen your, uh, your tweets and I've seen people asking <laughs> questions and people asking about my glove. And, um, you know, I, I want to rest, everyone rest assured there's no hole in my glove. 
Um, the, the <laughs> did glove, you, the did glove, you burn it afterwards like not, some people are asking? No, it, it's in the basement. <laughs> it's in the ba- it, it was an awesome glove, but iTech couldn't make another one like it. It was a one-off, and they, they, they kept giving, sending me gloves, and I, I couldn't get one that felt right. So I was sewing this one. I was stitching this one. But it was just a, it was here's an example. It's like somebody's old baseball glove. It's floppy. It's so it was a real loose glove. And when the shot came, I was a little late reacting to it. It went through my D's legs. That's what I was I, wondering. I wanted to ask if you saw it clean because I was watching this video over and over, going, "There's no way he read this puck off the stick, like it no, was a clean I, shot." I didn't. I didn't get it off the blade, and I yep. was catching up to it and. I was seeing the puck great that game. I was playing well. I felt great. Um, he and cut it had been towards a great the middle up to that point too. Yeah, like uh, like they were the number one or two seed, and I think we were seven. I, no, they were two, and we were seven, I think. And the shot went through the D's legs, and uh, I, I threw my glove up, and my, it was like um, in baseball, you have the ice cream cone where the the, <laughs> yeah, the, puck, the balls catch. on the t- the snow right. cone catch. Right, that was the puck. And as it snapped my hand, my wrist back, the glove just wasn't strong enough to hold it. And it squirted out, squirted out of my glove and crossed the line. So when you watch yeah. the video of it to see your reaction, it's just, it's soul crushing. I mean, when I watch it, I feel so bad for you because I know that especially I, I've been in those positions. We've all been in that as a goaltender at some point. And it doesn't matter whether it's, house league or the NHL, anybody that's played goal, you know how seriously you take things. And I see it happen. And of course, I'm instantly going into goalie mode going, like I said before, I don't think he saw this clean. And I'm telling people out there listening that if you don't see it off the blade of the stick, all bets are off because that's where you read everything. And it's so easy to look like an asshole if you don't make that safe. And yeah, it's hard to catch up. It's hard to catch up to a puck. That's right. And especially today, as hard as people are shooting. But I mean... I think it was Derek Plant that shot that maybe. I mean, yeah. he could shoot yeah. the puck too. I mean, it wasn't oh, yeah. a coincidence that he was the guy that put that in. Yeah, I'm not, the hard part was because he came down. He was a, he's a left-handed shot. He came down the right side and cut to the middle. And as he cut to the middle, he, he wound up. And my defenseman's legs were moving around as I was trying to locate the puck. And, and just when he was making contact, I was trying to catch it coming out of um, – my defenseman's legs and we have black socks on and, and, and uh, everything was like, where is it? Where is it? And, uh, and I got it, but I just think I was, I didn't quite catch it. You know, maybe a half an inch lower in the mitt would have been the difference. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what, Ron, to your credit from that point forward in your career, you really hit your stride. I mean, you started to put up mega numbers and you said Jacques Martin being the coach and everything, but it's a two way street. Your goalie has to be as good as the coaching staff. And, I mean, the next two, three years in Ottawa, really great numbers. And then you get dealt off at the trade deadline to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know whether that was out of the blue or not, but probably what people remember of that, unfortunately, is another overtime game. And it's the longest one in the modern era, five overtimes. And, you know, you, you didn't come out on top in that game, but – what on earth was it like to play five overtimes? I've played three before. I can't imagine five. It and and it's so hot that time of year, right? And um, so trying to stay hydrated was was truly a challenge, um, you know. But like I, I kept looking at my team, and I'm like, okay, I got Yager, 
I got Kovalev. Like, seriously? Like, can, can one of you guys just end this thing? We like, both got to play with Yager. I got him in yeah. Florida for two games. Oh, man. <laughs> he was special. He was unbelievable. Uh, he he actually told Kovalev, I think, in the going into the fifth overtime, uh, he, he told him, Kovi, enough of this. If you wanted to just finish it, you could do it all by yourself. Just go finish it. And this is Yager, <laughs> who's the heart trophy winner, league scoring champ. And he's telling Kovalev, who to this day, I think is one of the most gifted players to ever play the game. He should have been the elite elite, but he just didn't have the drive that other guys had. And he's telling him, just end this thing, would you? And, and I'm like, yeah, you should. You should go end this thing. <laughs> so he ended up cranking it off the crossbar and they came down and scored. Oh. Like, it was like, like it was like literally less than a minute. He hit the crossbar and then they scored. So... Um, how, was your, was, how was your body hanging in there after five overtimes? I mean, were you guys lost, just sucking down pizza in between or what was available to eat to keep you going? Bacon. They had a ton of bacon. bacon. No, I didn't expect yeah. bacon is the answer. Yeah. You could smell <laughs> bacon in the room. They were cooking bacon. There were pizza. There was, and I was a very superstitious guy, right? So I never ate anything. I just purely, it was water and Gatorade. Those are the only things I ever did in between periods. And, um, I was starting to fade pretty hard, um, you know, and, but I could smell bacon in the room, like all, all around the room. The microwave was going 24 seven with bacon in there and just this going is and going. Yeah. This and is guys absolutely were surreal. You guys were bacon. cooking bacon. bacon. <laughs> yeah. And what I didn't know, which I kind of wish I did know, even though I was extremely superstitious, is that some guys were taking uh, intravenous, mm. you know, like uh, to keep the hydration up. And, and I, I was in my own little world and I just kept doing what I was doing, just put my gear on and, I'd walk to the door to go on the ice and I'd look at the, the guy that opened the door for us and I'd say, which end am I in? And, <laughs> and he'd say, you're down that way this time. Thank you. And I'd go down to my end and it was like deja vu the next, like the last two or three periods. It was like, I didn't know which, I couldn't remember which end I was in. So I was starting to, to lose things pretty well. And I ended up losing, I think 12 pounds. And oh. like my playing weight was like around 160. So I was under 150 pounds. Uh, when that game was over and um, they, they, they emptied the rink of beer. So <laughs> there was the whole rink was empty on beer and people were sleeping in the stands. And uh, I always tell the story that my mom was watching the game and she just, she just couldn't handle it anymore. So she went to bed and she woke up a couple hours later and turned the TV on to see if we won. And it was still going on. So, I got, <laughs> so she, you know, what's you know, what's funny about this. I was watching this game in my billet family's house when I was playing junior hockey in Springfield, Illinois. And I, my goalie partner at the time was Kevin Ryder, who's now pretty high up in USA hockey. He was the goalie coach for the development program for a few years. He's been moving up through that. He went on to play college hockey at Alaska Anchorage, but he was from Pittsburgh. So he was really vested in this. And I can't remember if I stayed awake or not. He definitely did. And so yeah. I, I remember this clear. I mean, it was just, it was surreal that it was going on this long. Well, the game slowed down. Like uh, it was like it was coming to a crawl because you know the ice was getting worse and worse, and the players were getting more and more tired. And um, you know, I I laughed because uh, Keith Primo, who scored the winner, he missed the first half of the season, so he still had lots left in the tank. <laughs> so he he outside inside Casparitis and threw a short side shelf on me, and I collapsed like a 
<laughs> I just completely collapsed on the shot. There wasn't much left of me. And he put it under the bar on the short side and, you know, I left the rink. I put ice bags on my knees and I left the rink. And then I couldn't get up the stairs. Like I, my, my, my bedroom was upstairs and my wife was there. And I said, I got to sleep on the couch. I couldn't walk up the stairs. My legs were fried and we didn't play the, the next day. And I, th- I think we actually didn't play the day after neither, but it was an afternoon game. Uh, actually it might've been two days. Yeah. So two days after it was an afternoon game and I still hadn't recovered yet. So I knew Cujo that year with um, Toronto was taking intravenous and stuff. And, and he said, thank God for that. Cause he had a couple long overtime periods. And I, I really wish I would have did that if I would have thought of it, but I don't, I don't think anyone wanted to bother me neither. You know what I mean? They, I didn't talk to anybody on game days, so probably they probably didn't want to bother me. <laughs> so, well, lo and behold, was, after that season ends, you end up in Columbus with an expansion team, and you played 53 games, which is the, the second most in your career. But what was that experience like being part of a true expansion team in a market that hadn't had a professional sport yet? Well, this was my second go around because I was with the Ducks, the first expansion. Oh, that's right. So, you ended up with them for it. I forgot. Yeah, so you had yeah. experience. So I was with, yeah, yeah, you knew so how I to handle this situation. With that. I was <laughs> I was only six months uh, in in Cala- in, um, in uh, Anaheim with Ga Bear, mm-hmm. and um, you know I was I was the backup or, or to be the backup in in Anaheim, and at the time they traded me, I was ten and ten and three in Anaheim and they're fighting for a playoff spot and all they had were goons and, and two good goalies. So I got traded to Montreal and they brought in Stefan Lebeau to, to Anaheim. Uh, but then later on in my career being um, signed as a free agent to, you know, the, the contract the, that I was so fortunate to get, um, I guess you can say, thank God for expansion for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I got the contract that I'd been waiting my whole life for, and I was going to a pretty exciting fan base. I knew what it was like because Anaheim was so exciting the first year, the first two years in expansion are easy, um, because people are just so excited. So expectations are low and, you know, I mean, they're just so excited to have a team and everybody loves the team. So your, your first two years is, is pretty easy. And I knew that. But once again, in Columbus, we were kind of fighting for a playoff spot there late with about a month to go or so. Uh, we were falling behind, but we were still in at least the playoff race. We are fighting for it. And um, so it was, it was a fun year. Uh, they, they did a great job there with their um, um, marketing crew. They, I actually have votes to be the president of the United States. Yeah, I was wondering about uh, that. I mean, you yeah. can't do that. You're Canadian. That's not possible. Yeah, I'm Canadian. I was under the age of 35. Yeah. So, yeah, but there was things a like rumor, though. Yeah, that I had yeah, I was I had like 10 or 11 or 12 votes or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's so, that's not quite Mickey Mouse territory. He usually no. gets a couple thousand, but that's probably yeah. stronger than your average cartoon character at least. I think I'd have a better chance now if I ran. <laughs> I think anybody has a good chance at 2020 at this point. <laughs> but like they had me walking through farm fields with my equipment on. They had me in parks like patting cows and stuff and that for my campaign. They had me in parks giving speeches, holding babies, kissing babies. They had me walking up and downtown with my equipment on. And they had me doing all this stuff, you know, in the marketing crew the first year before the season even started. So um, it was quite nice because they kind of 
myself and uh, Lyle Odeline with the other free agent signing. And I've heard he's Tyler a legend, Wright. by the way. Yeah, he's a beauty. He's he is really an unbelievable person. He had um, a big health scare recently. I remember reading the article yeah. on it. Yeah, that's great to see he's well, doing he, well. He 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 lived hard. He he played hard, but he had a heart of gold. Like he was a he's a great person. So, um, you know, but so so they kind of used us in that to really. So we were popular right away. You know, the bunch of us were, and it was so much fun. But um, the neat thing is which I don't think this one can be broken, but you never know with all this expansion still happening now. I'm the only guy to have the first ever win for two franchises. Boom. There it is, man. Yeah. Like, I th- so I got the first win for the Ducks, and I got the first win for Columbus. There's nobody out there that has the first win for franchises for two teams. Do you think that's your favorite record that you have in the NHL, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it is one of them. Um, yeah, but there's one. So. There's one that I've been yeah, saving but, here that I think that you might know what I'm talking about if you want to elaborate on it. Yeah that that was uh, '91. You know, those early years with the Nordiques when we had we had a team that pretty much went on to win the Stanley Cup in Colorado, but they just weren't ready when I was there in Quebec and. Um, you know, we gave up 73 shots. So <laughs> the, the record there is is 70 saves without losing but there is a guy that made 82 saves in a game and but he lost so so that was a that tie right it's a three to three tie yeah the three three tie back then they had the ties the five minute overtime the five minute overtime i think they had like 12 shots in five minutes and um the play was all on our end uh but uh it was funny afterwards because uh pierre uh Paget, said that uh, they didn't have that many shots and i i got the i got the same as you the vhs and i counted them and i i had 73 shots <laughs> it's funny how they so, get delusional when they try to defend their job right yeah they didn't it, it didn't look good on the team you know what i mean we were it was late in the year they were a first place team we were the last and that that little rink in the boston garden is so small uh you know shots from center ice were legitimate shots and you know, like, uh, so things happen quickly on that ice. And we had a great young group of players that they just weren't ready for that league yet. And therefore I got pelted, but it was, it was probably the one thing with, if you ever ask people, you know, William name Ron Tugnet, they're, they're going to come to that game. And, and I think that thank God for that game. Cause I really think it put me out there and, and, and got me noticed. What's amazing about it too, is that when I was, well, I was probably only eight or nine years old when that game happened. So my dad's an off-ice official in St. Louis. And yep. before every game, he would come down and he'd bring me the stat pack from upstairs. And you know what these are like. They're always in the locker rooms. You get the stat pack that has the rosters from each team. It has statistics through the league. It probably has game sheets from the past couple games. And my dad brings this down and gives it to me. And I would just digest these things as a kid. And I'd always show up early to watch the visiting team goaltender and – I'm paging through this thing and I see Ron Tugnut make 70 saves. And I, I I thought it was a typo. I didn't think that this could possibly be real, that this actually happened in the NHL. I mean, you look at it and you think, you know, 50-55, that's unbelievable. But 73 shots. I mean, what was your first thought after the game in the shower? Well, it's, it's funny that you talk about those sheets because those were like uh, bathroom reading material sheets. 
Yeah, right on the right. floor so of the shitter, game, right? Yeah, before the <laughs> yeah. game, you go in, you go in they're, they're splattered all over the, the bathrooms in there. Which Guys is been in there checking out yeah. stats and, and reading stats, and so they're always all over the bathroom. But, um, you know, after that game was over, that was another one where I lost quite a bit of weight. And, you know, Chili Sack, who's my good buddy there, he's like, come on, Tiger, when we get home, we're going for some wings and some beers, and, you know, we're going to celebrate that. And, you know, and... You know, it was just it was all just a big fun thing. But when I when I got home, uh, the ovation I got from the the Nordic fans. We played uh, Hartford the next game, and uh, the ovation I got from the, the Nordic fans when they they announced me was was something that uh, I remember clearly. And and I, and I said, oh my god, you know, English guy playing for the Quebec Nordiques, and and they were proud, you know, of, of what I accomplished uh, for them, kind of thing, and. You know, all those years in, in Quebec where we've gone through all those bad times to, to have somebody thinking good things about you and the fans excited about you, it just shows you the knowledge of, of the people in Quebec City that, you know, they, they, they appreciate good hockey and they don't like bad hockey. And, uh, you know, they, another funny story with Quebec is my earlier years is that they, they changed the, the bathroom tissue to the little square ones that you pull one at a time off because <laughs> there was a game there that they emptied out to all the toilet paper onto the ice during a game where they threw the rolls and the rolls are unspiling as they're going to the ice. What period so was it in? All was it the, after the game or was it during the game? It was during the game. Oh boy. During the game. They, they TP'd the throwing, ice. Yeah. They TP'd the ice. They're firing them from the top rafters and all you seen was just toilet paper unswirling. So they That's changed all, all the things, <laughs> yeah, all the bathrooms changed to the little sheets where you pull one and it's like little squares. And they, they changed the whole rank for that. So. After that game, I saw the rumor out there that some of the Bruins guys came and shook your hand. Is there, is there any truth to that? Um, well, it wasn't shaking hands. It was patting and, and like okay. pat on the pads and smiling and laughing. And, uh, you know, pretty much like quite a few of the guys did. I had to go our, our, to our room. We had to go by their, their dressing room, um, by their bench, I mean. So... As, as my guys were patting me and I started to go off, they were waiting as I was going towards their bench and they all started patting me and laughing. And, um, you know, they, 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 they had just as much fun in it. And I think there's only one guy that didn't get a shot on goal. Huh. So, um, um, God, what was it? Uh, I kind of try to remember his name, but I played with him and Peter Duras. Peter Duras was the only guy and I played with him in Anaheim. I said, you couldn't find a way to get a shot. I went on 74. <laughs> just Ray, Ray Borg probably had a dozen of them or something. He, he had 19. 19. Ray Borg had 19 shots. That's unfathomable. Great yeah. Corsi. Man, he'd be an advanced yeah. dad darling. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I, I made one big save at the end that everybody just, I didn't even see it. I did the splits and I put my glove out. And Ray Bork shot a full slap shot from the hash marks right in my glove. And and it would have been goalie interference today's game because I was on the goal line and so was Cam Neely. So <laughs> Cam Neely was literally a foot and a half from the goal line and I was on the goal line making the save. So But all these years later though, you remember that save. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, because he just shot it right in the glove. Yeah. It was just it was my day. 
You know what well, it's like, Mike, when you have those days where you just figure nothing's going to happen today. Yep. You, you know, just so feel unbeatable sometimes. Those, those are good days. Yes, they are. <laughs> I, just, I just wish I had more of them. Well, you know, you got a couple more years after this in Dallas. And I got a, I got a little story that goes with this too, where, you know, you had those eagle pads we talked about earlier that had stars on them. And I had mocked up from Bauer pads that had stars just like yours were a little bit different of variation on it, but had I gotten a chance to to stick around that place, I was going to wear some that were kind of inspired by what you had previously nice. there. Yeah, they would have been really cool because I mean Bauer now can do anything on the pads; they can print anything they want on them, which is That's I mean, incredible. It's, yeah, it's really amazing to see. So, somebody that I know that played with you in Dallas wanted to ask if you remembered anything about a condominium in Colorado that all the five goalies in training camp were staying at together? Yeah, they put us all in one condo. And, of course, when you put five goalies together, they're going to have a good time. So there's there's no problems with that. But I think uh, we all might have missed curfew in camp. <laughs> and, and, and you know, How'd that I, I'd like over? to say Marty, Marty was the ringleader. I'd like to say that he's probably the ringleader because he, he always thought of things quicker than I did. So, but we had young Mike Smith, who was a, a pretty wild guy too. He had the long, long hair, and uh, he was a young guy that was an up and comer. And um, I've been teammates with him twice. Again, look at and, my career, but yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so we all we all went out and missed curfew, and um, we were the only guys to go out that night. I think, and 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 I don't know why we picked that night, but uh, we we just up and ran and. And I, I remember actually it was cold. Actually, the night we came home, we were running back as well, and uh, we we laughed about that forever because here we were. There's just five goalies. Just you know, you couldn't have a better time than hanging out with guys and that are all goalies. Goalie union. What do you remember about Marty Turco? You know, something. He was one of the most fun partners I ever played with, just because he he was he's, he was a very confident guy, but he was. Uh, he was just fun to be around. You were always going to have fun when he was around. Even when he played, you know, like we would, um, it was funny. We would laugh because uh, after we get off our morning skates, the two of us would be like out of the room so fast and we'd be going for lunch and before the plane. So we'd go out and, and go for lunch and, and have a beer or two and then get on the plane and then head and fly to our, our next game. But that was our thing that we always did is we always did an afternoon lunch uh, before we got on the plane. So that was him and I's thing. But I remember with him with his stick handling and stuff, there was there was a night that we got ourselves into a little bit of trouble. We both well, – I'll, I'll tell the story because it is what it is. But we um, – <laughs> I played a game in Anaheim against an old team, and we won. And I was pretty excited. And we played the next day uh, in L.A., so our hotel was in actually L.A. So we went from uh, L.A. to Anaheim to play the game. Then after the game, we came back to L.A. and we were going to play L.A. the next day. So I said, well, I'm going to go with the injured guys and the guys that aren't playing tomorrow and go grab a beer somewhere. You know, I finished the game pretty excited, pretty happy. I know there's a curfew, but I'm not playing. That's fine. So I go to this place and we're sitting there and all of a sudden I look across and there's Marty and, and Marty's. I said, I walked over, I said, um, am I missing something or am I playing tomorrow? And he goes, uh, no, I am. 
So, okay, good. <laughs> I feel much better now. So he was there. He was there for like a half an hour just to, with the guys to hang out or thing. But just seeing him there, I'm like, shouldn't you be like in bed? You're playing the ball. He goes, ah, guys, no problem, you know. So the next day we get there and like they we're, we're during the game. We've been outshot 17 to 1. In the first period, he comes flying by the bench, slams on the brakes. He goes, I'm feeling good today. I was going out last night. It was pretty good. Feeling good. And he's playing unbelievable. And I'm just laughing going, there's no way I could do that where I could go out the night before for an hour or whatever and, and, and miss curfew. And like, he, you know, so I, I was kind of like, I can't believe how calm and confident this guy is like he's like oh yeah i'm feeling good it was a good idea so um, that was him he was very loose um you know he would he would stick on the one time he came flying out flying out to the blue line and he shot a puck from one so he was right up against the boards on the blue line at his end and he threw a puck cross creek uh, cross ice to the far blue line sauce pass landed it on the guy's tape he went in for a scoring chance and he came back to his net and then there was the timeout. He came to the bench. He goes, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't try that if I was you. <laughs> I said, no, no shit. <laughs> you're throwing cross ice sauce from one blue line to the far blue line on the opposite side. And I said, you're up there. And, and, he, just, and he just starts laughing. Oh, so, he, re- he redefined puck handling. And yeah. I've, I've been pretty vocal in my past about how I thought the progression went from basically – Hextall to Brodeur to Turco. To me, that's kind of how it went. And Mike Smith still carries the torch of Turco. They basically legislated out the ability to get out into the corners by putting the trapezoid in. But it didn't matter yeah. for Marky, for, for Mar- Marty, man. He would get out and Turks would still get the puck wherever he wanted. He'd beat the play. Like He was truly masterful with it. And I loved watching he, it. I, he saw him play, I saw him play in college. You know. Yeah, I saw yeah, him play in college. He was the best playmaking everything. goalie for sure. Like yeah. the other guys, Hex, Hexy was a shooter. He wasn't a passer. Right. M- Marty Turco was throwing backhand sauce. He was throwing forehand sauce. He actually stood behind the net and banked it off the net once. Uh, like he did a spinorama with the puck behind the net when I was there. And every everything he did, he would make a pass from behind the net right up the, to his own slot between the hash marks, a little sauce flip in there. He was fearless with it. And, you know, I felt bad because, Every time I had to play, my poor defense would look at me and they're like, oh, we got to go back for pucks today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just knew, I knew they didn't want me in there because they're, they're, they were going to have to actually play like defense that game, you know, because they never went and got pucks when he was there. Like, well, think you're about right. How they many, changed the rule, changed think, the rules about, for him. Think about how many guys in the game actually have something named after to, after them. And, Marty Turco has a grip named after him of how you actually hold the stick. He was the first guy that really popularized turning over the bottom hand on the goalie stick and shooting that way. And that's now what everybody does. And I'm one of the few guys left that'll still play it traditionally, occasionally. But for the most part, I I use Turco grip now. And you talk about game changer. That's that's pretty amazing. And to finish out your career with a guy like that had to be a lot of fun. Yeah, he was. I thoroughly enjoyed playing with him. He was one of the greatest guys I've ever played with. The most fun. He kept it light. He made me feel like I was, you know, I was his backup. But he really made me feel like, um, you know, that we were a tandem and we were a pair. And and I greatly appreciated that. And um, you know, I, I I always I'm a right-handed shooting player. If you give me a hockey stick, I shoot right. But with a goalie stick, I had to shoot left or flip it like Cujo did. So when I got to Dallas, you got to try this. 
so I, I immediately I tried it and with my loose floppy gloves I have it was easy to grab the stick and and next thing you know he goes now watch this take one timers with it so all of a sudden I was being able to shoot like a one timer which I could never do before it would have been like a, an explosion off my blade and he goes oh you got to get a little more heel curve now let's get some heel <laughs> curve on your sticks so he started playing with all this stuff and next thing you know all I wanted to do was go out and play pucks and shoot pucks and everything and next we were coming back saying Tugger uh, just stay in your net <laughs> just, just stay, just stay in your net. You're causing way too much confusion. <laughs> so, anyway, I thought I was getting better at it, but I guess I wasn't. Well, unfortunately, that also concluded the NHL span of your career. But uh, yeah. I mean, you had an unbelievable run. You played 17 seasons. You played over 500 games in the NHL. Another 25 in playoffs. Plenty more in the American Hockey League. I mean, you had to be durable. You couldn't have had many injuries, which is a credit to how you, you know, either your body was just unbelievable or you took care of yourself really well or one of the two. But um, you, can't, it's, it's, you can't, you can't, you can't pull fat. <laughs> so what, I, didn't, what keeps... I didn't work out much. I didn't work out much when I played. I ran. I, I like to go. I like to jog and run. Uh, I didn't lift a ton of weights. Um, I enjoyed my summers. Uh, I come into camp. I was, I was kind of like a little bit of an old school guy. I'd come into camp 10 pounds heavy. Within a couple of weeks, I'd lose that 10. And my, I, I made sure I stretched and I, and I ran just to keep, try to keep my weight manageable and, and, and did a little bit of weights, but really not much. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, you now spend your time hanging around lakes in the summertime in Canada. And actually, had somebody asked that on Twitter. They were wondering what your favorite boating destinations are because – this person's run into you a few times, apparently at Kingston on uh, Canada yep, Day. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I get down to Lake Ontario. I go to Kingston whenever I go down there because it's a great spot, and uh, I love down down on the waterfront in Kingston. It's a great little downtown area there, and um, I love boating on Lake Ontario. So we have like a thirty-one foot cruiser that my wife and I and our dogs will go out in. And kids used to come, but not no more. They prefer to stay at the lake and probably have parties here while we're gone. Um, but you know, so, uh, I, I love my boating. I, I love getting out there. I love just dropping an anchor and staying the night there and waking up in the same spot, or at least hopefully waking up in the same spot and, you know, enjoying fine food and drinking red wine and swimming at night. And, you know, I love that stuff. And that's it for this episode of six degrees with Mike McKenna. Thanks so much to Tugger Ron Tugnut for joining us. Make sure to subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you receive your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.